welcome to the Saddle Hunter Podcast. Our tethers are long and our bridges are strong. Now, here are your hosts, Greg and Scott. What's up, Saddle Hunters? I cannot think of a better way to start 2018 than with a fantastic Saddle Hunter Podcast. How you doing? I'm doing excellent. It's been a, been a few weeks since we've talked. Uh, what's new with you, man? Well, I've actually got out hunting a couple times, so I'm happy happy for that. Well, that's good. I'm actually on a little bit of a streak right now. I have shot in uh, I've shot two deer on my last two sits. Well, that's two more than I've shot the entire season. Well, <laughs> that's two more than I have harvested the entire season. So good for you, man. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my my uh, son actually shot his first deer um, over Christmas break. Oh, really? That's awesome. Yeah, well, it, it was bittersweet. We didn't find it, but he did hit it for sure. We tracked it for a little while. He made a bad shot. Uh, it was a doe, um, a yearling doe in a food plot. Uh, first time he'd ever shot at a deer, so that was pretty cool. Um, I got the whole thing on film, which was even cooler, and his, his reaction was awesome. Um, I wish we'd have found it, but... He took it like a champ. He really did. You know, I explained that, hey, man, everybody makes bad shots. Your old man has made bad shots this season. You don't always find them. And, mm-hmm. you know, he understood and he got it. And he said, you know, I just I just really want to practice so I can make make a better shot next time. And I was like, ah, that's the right attitude. So yeah. I think he's I think he's getting it. That's awesome. That's the perfect response. So, yeah, you exactly. Better, you better watch out for him next year. Well, I mean, he can't do any worse than me. <laughs> So what's going on with you, man? You're on a streak. What's the what's the story of your two deer? Yeah, so uh, well, two weeks ago I shot a doe in the snow, so that was fun. And then, um, but I'm riding on a high right now because uh, two days ago I was out in the morning on a 14 degree morning, so it was nice and cold out. And I'm up there, and at 8:30 I had a uh, decent buck come walking by, and um, I. Got a shot off. It, it was a little further back than I wanted it to be, but uh, he took off, and I actually heard two uh, hearing a crash, crash, and then about twenty yards away, crash, crash again, and then nothing. So that was a good sign. I was optimistic, but at the same time, I knew my shot was back, and I, I clearly saw that it was back. That's not good. Yeah, that was not good. So I, I was, I knew it was a fatal shot. I knew it was right in the center of the deer, just further back in the gut. Um, but once I heard him crash like that, like you, you know how they kind of like J hook around when they're going to die and then crash, crash. That was exactly what happened. So I was optimistic. I said, okay, it's eight thirty in the morning right now. I just sat up in the tree, and I was like, okay, what am I gonna do? So at first, I was like, well, maybe I'll come back like two thirty. And then I was like, you know what? I'm like, it's it's not going to be above 18 degrees today. I'm like, if he's dead, then he'll be dead tomorrow morning. Because if I did just get the gut, he, he might be he might be alive for a good 10 or 12 hours. So I um I decided to wait it out, and I went back in the next morning. So started tracking him a full 23 hours after I had shot. And um while I was sitting up in the tree waiting to get down. We were having some snow. Sh- Actually, it had started snowing a little bit before, but we had some snow showers, uh, which were unexpected. So that kind of put a little kink in my um, my plan because it was now snowing on top of my blood trail. So um, I decided I would take the chance with that. 
Um, so when I got back in the next morning, I found my arrow just 10 yards from where I shot him. It was, uh, it, there was a lot of good blood on it. So I was actually surprised about that, but clearly there was some um, of the brown gut material. And then uh, I picked up a, a good blood trail very quickly and he had gone through a bunch of thick stuff and um, the blood, uh, I didn't, wasn't finding much blood on the ground, but the blood was falling onto the brush and the cat briars. So I was able to uh, to follow the trail very easily through through that thick stuff, which was nice. But I got um, another kink thrown at me when he hit a clearing. And once he hit that clearing, I had nothing to go off of. So I started doing circles, looking for blood, tr trying to figure out which way he went. And I probably spent about 45 minutes or an hour just trying to find where the blood went. And I, I couldn't find any more blood. So at that point, um, because I had heard him like turn to the right, there was a nice really really thick thicket over there and it's like the type of place where deer go to die and um so i started following the deer trails down into there looking for um, um looking for blood didn't have any luck with that so i had already i had looked on the map before i even went out that morning and i looked at the the shape of that thicket and i said i'm going to cover that entire thicket because it, it's likely that he's in there so i started crawling on my hands and knees um, to get from like deer trails to little clearings in there just to cover every piece of the thicket. And I actually did find another dead deer back in there that someone probably shot earlier in the year, but didn't find my deer. So I probably spent an hour and a half doing that. So at this point, you've got to be getting pretty dejected and feeling feeling pretty low, right? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 was, I was positive because I knew it was a, um, a deadly shot. But it was it was just getting a little frustrating because I was actually expecting that before I went out. And then when I picked up a good blood trail, that kind of got me like, okay, you know, this is a lot better than I was expecting. So, so after doing that search, I'm like, okay, let me go back to the spot of last blood and let me um, kind of just take a look around and reevaluate. So I'm standing there and I'm looking. I'm like, okay, you know, which way, if I'm the deer, which way am I going to go? So I'm like, I've clearly covered to the right. I really don't think he went left. So I'm like, let me start walking straight across this clearing and see if I can just, you know, get any inspiration or anything. So I start walking across the clearing and I actually, in one of the spots that I had walked previously, it had kicked up the snow and I found a piece of blood on the leaf um, that was under the snow originally. And that, that was really all I needed. That got me going in the uh, the right direction yahtzee yep and sometimes it's just that one spot of blood that you you find that gets you going and can make lead to a recovery so I, I found that i was able to actually follow blood again for maybe maybe about 20 yards and then i lost it again started doing my circles looking again again around around didn't find any more but so again i go back to the spot of last blood and I'm kind of looking at where I've been searching. And I was like, you know what? Like the way the terrain was, that, that thicket, it was kind of pushing me a little bit further left than I really wanted to go. Or like every time I'd go back and search, like I was going further left than I should be. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to backtrack, hop into the thicket, and then force myself to go right through the middle looking for blood on all of it. And like, you know, eventually maybe I'll cut some blood. So I did that. I uh, started going through. And then I probably didn't make it another 20 yards before I looked up and uh, there he was laying behind a tree down in the thick stuff. Man, 
Well, I'm glad that it worked out for you, even though it was a bit of a rough track. Uh, but all's well that ends well, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that's that's part of it. I um I will never pro- proclaim to be the best shot, and unfortunately, I have lots of experience tracking. But in a situation like this, it pays off. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm I'm just glad that you found the deer because. I know all too well how how rough that is. So congratulations, man. That's a good way to to round up your season. You got to be coming close, right, to the end? Yep. Actually, um, that was with two days left in the year. So um, the way our seasons work, that was the end of our permit bow season. So uh, I had two days left on that tag, so I filled that. And uh, January 1st, I start with a new tag for our winter bow season. And how long does that go? That actually, in certain areas of the state, it goes till the middle middle of February. So I have oh. some time. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I can hunt through uh, um, through the end of January, uh, or excuse me, the the middle of January here in Georgia. But then I have an Alabama hunt coming later in the month, and then I'll go and probably hunt in Florida. I think they have a late muzzleloader season, like the first week of of February, I'll probably go there and, and get a bow hunt in during that muzzleloader season. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it's, um, I'm starting the past couple of years to really appreciate late season hunting more. Um, you just got to be prepared for the cold up here, but it's, um, it's a fun time to be in the woods. That's good, man. Well, I'm glad to hear it. Thank you, man. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I'm also pretty pumped about this week's, uh, podcast. We have got a lot going on this week, right? That's right. Yeah, and uh, so we're talking saddle hunting 101. We are talking tethers and bridges and ropemans and aiders and platforms and all things saddle hunting. So uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. But, but, but before we get into that, we have got an awesome interview from the forum with Justin Osterbahn. He is BC Hunter on the forum, and he is talking about his first saddle kill and uh it was an awesome conversation that scott and i had with them so before we get into saddle hunting 101 let's talk with justin justin how you doing man i'm doing great how are you i'm doing well i am nice and hot in southern georgia it was almost 80 degrees today what's it like up there in michigan oh my goodness 80 that's that's a little too hard for me but uh it was it was high at 39 today i think um Next week, it's going to get down at maybe 18 degrees or less. It's going to be a little rough. Yeah, no thanks. Scott, is it uh, that cold where you are? No, actually, it just uh, I think it warmed up to about 45 today. It was pretty cold last week. We had snow on the ground uh, most of the week, and I got to shoot a doe in the snow on Saturday, so that was fun. Nice. Uh, well, nobody cares to hear us talk about weather, so let's let's get into the hunting stuff. Uh, Justin, talk to me about kind of uh, where you're from. Tell me you know, what you do for a living, and uh, you know what the hunting is like in your area. Well, I'm from uh, southern Michigan, near the Grand Rapids area, um, but I moved to Battle Creek for for my job. Um, I work for the Air National Guard. Um, I was active duty for a little while, but moved back to Michigan because I decided I like my family and kind of want to be around them. Um, and so once I moved back, I got back into hunting again. Um, and really, I, I didn't grow up hunting too much. My dad didn't go. But uh, when I got back, 
um, my, my friends were hunting and I just, I just felt like that was something I needed to do back here in Michigan. So, well, I won't make fun of you too bad. You know, I'm an army guy and, and <laughs> you know, army guys like to like to have a little fun at the, at the air force expense and especially the Navy's expense, but the, the, well, air, yeah. force, the air force too. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we like the air force guys a whole lot more than we like the Navy guys. So I'll let yeah. you slide on that one. Definitely. And everybody makes fun of the coast guard. So that's true. We always have that in common. So when'd you get into saddle hunting? Uh, that was about two years ago. Um, and that was mostly because I had a terrible season uh, of hunting. And I said, there's got to be a better way. Um, hunt, hunting here on a, a military base, um, you got to be mobile. It's, it's almost public land, not quite as bad, but uh, trying to be mobile, learn a new place that doesn't have any crops. Um, it, just trying to find new places. And when you're hauling around, giant ladder stands uh it, it gets old pretty fast that's probably a common thread i don't know what do you what do you have to say about that scott but that's pretty a pretty much a common thread that we hear with saddle people all the time that they're trying to get away from those big bulky metal stands yeah we get a lot of people trying to get away from a, a big climbing stands in particular and um i mean it's that saddle is definitely a big advantage over a big metal stand um, but what gets lost in all that sometimes is a lot of people don't realize there's a lot of other advantages to the saddle rather than just being smaller and lighter than a climber. Justin, now that you've you've done it for a couple seasons, what what are some of the advantages? What are some of the main advantages other than you know eliminating the big metal climbing stands? What are some of the other advantages that you found in the last few seasons? I'm um, just running gun is is a huge thing for me. Um, I don't. I think I've hunted the same place maybe twice, you know, one place twice. Otherwise I've never hunted a new place, uh, the same place this year. Um, so I don't need 30 different tree stands. That's, that's huge. Um, mm-hmm. I, so. I, uh, completely agree. Now talk us through maybe, uh, what do you, what are you hunting with? What saddle? What are you climbing with? What are you using for a platform? Talk us through your uh, your setup and and maybe some of the things that you would do differently. That maybe something you have planned to do differently for next year. But talk us through your setup and how you use it. And you know what, Justin? Before we go into that, um, we just wanted to talk about uh, why we wanted to invite you on here today because um, you got your first saddle buck this year, right? Yeah, definitely. Um- it's it's been a year of first for me. It's uh, the first bow buck that I've ever got. First Michigan buck. I mean, it's it's been a lot of firsts, um, and I it, I think it the saddle has a lot to do with it just being mobile. So like like Greg was saying, so now talk us through your setup. So I think like a lot of guys on the forums, it's uh it's ever evolving. Um, you find something to start with and just and go from there. Um, I started with uh, some climbing sticks, um, the, the uh, hawk heel or hawk short maxes. Um, I did a, a little bit of a mod on the, the the strap to to the tree, and I, I really like those. Um, adding in a single step anchor to them. Um, 
so that's how I get up the tree. Uh, I've got something in the works for the Cranford rope steps that I'm really enjoying with a with an aider, kind of like the Wild Edge. For those that uh, so, maybe don't know what an aider is, why don't you why don't you explain that to them, Justin? So normally it, it it comes from the rock climbing world where it has multiple steps. Um, and they'll use them to get up rock faces uh, a little easier that they can't, don't have any holds on. But we've uh, kind of adapted them to uh, climbing a tree. And uh, for, for, we've kind of started to move into uh, adjustable aiders so that we can uh, adjust them to getting up the tree a little easier with with just one step where it's you strap it to to your foot so that it doesn't fall off for, while you're climbing up yeah i think uh i think you're referring to like the foot sensator and i think Sw- swap sniper is the one that posted that mod uh based off of our very own red squirrels uh climbing aider mod so there's a there's a whole lot of innovation really going into this thing I, I would say in the past year, we've taken the Aider, and it's almost unrecognizable from what we've done. Uh, first, Wild Edge came out with their Aider attaching to their steps. And, and, and Scott, you know, we say Wild Edge. That's Andrew. Andrew's a member of our forum, and, and he got a yes, lot of his absolutely. ideas from the Saddle Hunter forum. Mm-hmm. So he came out with his Aider, and it was a great idea. Um, I inspired me to buy a set of the wild edge steps and the aider to try out. Um, I didn't really, I didn't really like how the aider attached to a step uh, that I had to put on above my head. So I was brainstorming and then I came up with um, just using one of my ascenders on a piece of climbing rope around the tree instead. And that seemed to work really good. I kind of got a system down with that. And then that this idea has just spiraled and everybody's, got a new take on it like almost every day you're seeing something someone do something better and different with it and then you had uh dave was actually using it putting it on the top of his stick so he only had to use one aider uh swamp sniper he you know cinched it to his foot so it's it's always there and available and just th- there's all sorts of guys on there doing something new so it's just really awesome to see where we're going yeah with this. and and it sounds like Justin, you're using the same thing. You're taking that same kind of innovation from the forum, and it sounds like you've adapted it even more for your use. Yeah, I'm using it with uh, the Cranford rope steps, and I'm using a, a ropeman as the adjustability uh, piece to it. So uh, I've got my whole climbing setup to just over five pounds to get to 30 feet. So that's pretty good. Um, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm gonna be making a video hopefully Friday and. Get it out into the into the sphere so that other people can take it and adapt it to their own. Use. That's awesome. So. That's awesome. Well, it sounds like uh, even though you're you're kind of new, you know, in the grand scheme of things, only your second season. You're new to the saddle hunting world. You're already making making waves. That's awesome. I like to tinker. So. I think we all do. That's a problem. <laughs> yeah. It's a problem yeah. on our side. Yeah, a good yeah, problem. Yeah, good problem. Well, talk us through yeah. this uh, your first Michigan, your first Michigan buck, your first saddle buck. Talk me through it, man. What time of year was it a rut buck? Did you figure this thing out early season? How'd it go? So it all started when we, when I read John Eberhardt's book. I mean, 
I think that's the story for a lot of guys on the on the forum. You know, you read the book, you decide you need a saddle, and then you start scouting in the spring. And that's what I did. Um, we had a mild winter last year, so I was out scouting in February. Um, I, and I'm just putting it on the miles. And at first, you know, you're just... As a new hunter, you're just wandering through the briars and just getting <laughs> bloody. So <laughs> um, you just don't. I I didn't know where to go, but I knew I had to be out there looking. So I got a little more dialed in as as it went on, and I, you know, on one of these expeditions, I mean, I was putting seven, eight miles on a day, which wandering through the woods aimlessly. It's, it's pretty rough. Like you're not just going straight line. Um, but uh, I knew I needed to be out there. This is what John said to do, so I'm doing it. And uh, I, I, I finally stumbled upon a spot. You know, just through maybe half a mile of deer trails through the briars, and I just come up, came upon just scrape upon scrape. Um, I mean, some of them were the size of a four by eight sheet, you know, just just deep scrapes in the woods with rub lines and everything just following this ridge line. Yeah, John and, would John Eberhart would call that a primary scrape area. Yeah, and uh, it it wasn't really a ridge line because this is oak flats, but it was just enough of a rise in between some lower oaks and. A little bit of a swamp on the sides. It was just something you can't see on a to topo map. It's just not detailed enough, but it's it was there just enough to direct everything through there. So I, you know, I put that in my in my GPS and I waited. You know, <laughs> he he put, he says it over and over in the book. Don't don't be tempted. You know, you got to save that for the perfect day in, in the rut. So I did that this year. I, I scouted enough different places that I could jump around a little bit. And it probably helped that I went on a trip out west to hunt. So I had two weeks that I couldn't even hunt there. So otherwise I probably would have jumped the gun. But <laughs> so finally rolled around uh, November 12 that it was just going to work. I was going to have enough time to go out there. And I headed out, uh, sneaking through this quarter mile, half mile of briars, you know, just following these deer paths like a maze. Um, and I finally started, I, I started seeing rough, uh, scrapes on the ground and I just passed, passed five, six, seven. And I'm like, oh man, do I got to set up? And I was like, this is, I'm not even to the good spot yet. <laughs> and, uh. So I finally get there. I'd pass ten to fifteen scrapes on the ground, and I. But as I'm getting within fifty yards of my spot, I look over to my right, and there's an eight point just bebopping through the woods, about to get to me. I was like, "Oh man!" So and I had been sneaking um, pretty slow, so it just he was there thirty yards away from me, uh, looking at the ground. So I. I quick got down on one knee and grabbed my arrows, threw on my release, and 
I thought it was going to be done right there. And I said, I wonder if Red's going to count this uh, towards the saddle hunting <laughs> points. <laughs> I'm not in its saddle, but I'm sneaking up to my saddle spot. So, but he, uh, he looked at me. I didn't move, and the wind was going the opposite direction. But, but uh, he just decided that lump in the in the woods wasn't just right. So he he hopped off, not too scared or anything. But he decided it wasn't right, and he wasn't going to die today. So well, it happens. He I mean, left out out of there. It happens. Yeah. So that that happened, and I, I, uh, I was like, "Well, I'm I'm in the right spot." So I went in the, the next fifty yards picked out a tree next to the this runway and got set up okay um, so you was, you varied from from john's direction a little bit then because he says you do all your prep and have your tree ready before the season so you didn't do yeah. that you wait and you went on a rent, run and gun set yeah and this is this is where these are things that i need to evolve and get better at is i scouted all spring but i never picked out the trees I got I got spots but no trees, and this this next spring I'll I'll definitely pick out trees and. It can uh, be frustrating when you get to a good spot and you can't find a tree, right? Oh yeah, it's there's nothing worse than just looking up, walking walking around and looking straight up at trees. Where should I go? Because so, when you're like, let's say you're on an afternoon hunt and you're standing there, it's, it's like the clock is ticking. Oh yeah, so that's what it felt like. Um, but I, I picked one and, uh, and this year I've been picking, going to a height that has cover more than just getting as high as possible. So, um, I, I was only 12 feet off the ground, but that's where I had the best cover for the area. And that, that's another thing that I've done differently this year instead of just going as high as well, possible. Well, good on you, man, because I'm, most folks yeah. go and myself included, I'm probably guilty of this is, is trying to go as high as possible. 12 foot. That's, that's a little low for me. Um, I know that Michigan deer look up, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, this one didn't, and there's, there's a reason <laughs> for it. Um, he, he only had one eye. So, <laughs> but, uh, and luckily for me, it was the eye that was facing towards me. So nice. Makes it a, a little bit of a cheater, but I'll, I'll still take it. So after it set up, I was there 45 minutes, and um, and I and I was thinking to myself that I should, you know, I should grunt and do all this stuff. I'm I'm terrible at this. I'm I'm an overcaller, you know, and I think a lot of new guys are too. Um, they'll hit the those rattles or or the dobly or the grunt, but uh, I had to say to myself. Just trust trust the area. Don't don't call unless you unless you see one that's not going to come in. So I calm myself down, and within five ten minutes, I see see this this buck rolling in uh, right down the path, ready to go. I, I saw he, his antler was big enough for me, so I said, "Don't stare at the antler. Don't 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 look at don't look at him again." Um, but he finally rolled in and right right past the tree and the only thing i didn't do right was i, di I didn't stop him and uh shot him a little back so i had to go out the next morning and find him in a rainstorm so how late in the day was this 
Um, it was probably an hour before dark. So, okay. What were you using yeah. for a platform? Uh, I was using the XLP um, platform. From Ernie, or did you make your own? I made my own. Okay. And then where did he come? Did he come into your left? You know, okay, so talk us through like clock. The clock, the tree in front of you is noon and directly behind you is six o'clock. Talk us through the shot and how you had to prep and all that stuff. Uh, he came in from my nine o'clock. So perfect. He, and came 20 yards in front of me. Um, I shot him. I got a little excited, shot him a little quartering two as he was coming in. I didn't let him come the full way. That that also helped me put the shot too far back. Yeah, that the the quartering towards angle is that's like the perfect script for for getting a, a back shot. It's hard. It all happens so quick. You got to make decision split second decisions. I mean, it's just it's part of hunting. Like you can watch TV and people talk about it, but in in real life, you got to make split second decisions, and sometimes you just don't make a good shot and you have to, uh, you got to wait. You just got to wait and go back click the next day. Like you did. Yep. It's as a new hunter, it just helps to get deer under the belt, you know, just shooting does and absolutely uh, getting meat in the freezer either way. That's the, that is the best practice for shooting big bucks is to sh- just shoot deer, get as much practice as you can under your belt. Yeah, I completely agree. And, um, that that's an awesome story, man. It's not very often uh, that it comes together like that. So good on you for doing all the right things, getting your your scouting in, finding the right place, even though it was only twelve feet high. I mean that that just <laughs> yep. shows that shows skill. I mean, it, I mean I know you're only you're new to the game, kind of with it. You only been hunting a few years, but I mean it shows me that you know what you're doing because you didn't just go high. You went in the right tree at the right height where you had the right cover. And the buck, you know, you set up in a way that the buck came in from the right direction that gave you the best opportunity to kill him. So good on you, man. Good job. Yeah, thanks. I like to think it's uh, I like to think it's hard work overcomes uh, my shortcomings. So that's right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, man, uh, we certainly appreciate the you taking the time to tell us the story. It was awesome. But before we let you go, if I could, um, and Scott, chime in here if you have any 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 comments as well but since we're talking you know this is the saddle hunting 101 episode talk us through maybe some some questions that you would have liked to have had answered you know prior to jumping into the saddle hunter lifestyle or you know the style of hunting what's something that you didn't know ahead of time that you wish you'd known one of my first questions was is there any way to try one of these before you buy it you know everybody knows how to use a tree stand you know they've sat one before but how the heck am I going to try one of these before I drop a couple hundred dollars? You guys have made a, a, a map of everybody in the area that uh, you may be able to go try one. So that's that, that would have been nice back back when we started. Any, anything else, or, or was that pretty much it? You just wish you could have tried one first. Well, that, that was a big one, and then what the heck is a bridge and why do I need one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. The, the, the lingo um, surrounding yeah. these tree saddles, it can be kind of daunting for when you're first getting started. Yeah. I, I guess we got to kind of step back cause we've been doing it so long, Greg. I mean, I guess there's a lot of uh, tech uh, terminology that we use that can be overwhelming to someone who doesn't 
have that a clue what we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you got you got bridges and <laughs> lineman belts and saddles and ropemans and aiders and I mean, yeah, it can and, get pretty and, uh, pretty daunting. And tethers, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, well that's I, awesome, man. I am I'm so glad to hear that you found success in your second season. I know you were super pumped. And yeah. I mean, that's exciting. I remember, I remember my, my first saddle kill as well. And that was, I felt so accomplished that, that I had figured that deer out and actually got one in a saddle. And it was, I'll never forget that deer. So man, I'm glad you got to experience that. Do you, uh, got any final thoughts before, before we let you go? Uh, I just want to say thanks for putting together the website, the podcast and all this other stuff. I mean, it's, it's helping people, um, I'm out there trying to convert as many people as possible too. So um, I think we'll take over. Taking over one, one tree at a time. <laughs> there you go. Taking over. You you heard it here, folks. Here you heard it here first, folks. The tree saddles are taking over one tree at a time. <laughs> All right, Justin. Hey, man, we're gonna let you go. Thank you so much again for coming on the podcast. We'll have you back again. All right. Have a good night, man. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Justin. Thanks for coming on. All right, so um, thank you, Justin, again for coming to the to us for that section from the forum. Uh, that was a great story, and uh, congrats again on your buck. Yes, it's always he- good to hear from the folks from uh, the forum and find out, you know, how they're doing things. So I know, I mean, I know I learn every time I talk to someone about it. So yes, yeah, one thing I love about what we're doing on here is uh, hearing from all the guys on the forum. It's it's pretty cool. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So what we're going to do now, this is the Saddle Hunting 101 episode. So what uh, Greg and I have done is we've pulled a bunch of stuff from the thread on the forum that people were asking about. So we kind of just got a big list here. So we're going to start going down and going over some questions that people asked. That's right. And the kind of the point of this episode is uh, for those maybe that are totally unfamiliar with saddle hunting, or, you know, just looking to learn about it, or, you know, maybe you've, you've kind of made the jump and decided you're going to get into saddle hunting. This podcast is all about helping you learn about the whole system. Yeah. So, um, our first question came from cozy 23 and he asked to do, um, go over some definitions and an overview of a lot of the acronyms that we use. And some of these included bridge, tether, prusik, ropeman, lineman belt, aider, platform, hip pinch, and climbing methods. So uh, I'm just going to do a quick rundown of, of the parts of my saddle first, and then I'll I'll talk about a couple of the other ones. So so my saddle, you, you have the, the saddle portion is actually what holds your butt. And then on the side would come up and it would have a loop on each side. And what's going to happen is the the piece that we call the bridge is going to connect to both of those loops. And it can be made out of rope. It can be made out of webbing. Greg, you're using AM steel. There's lots of different things you can use to make that. But the point being is it kind of completes the circle of holding your saddle onto you. Yeah. So, so then after, um, after you have that piece, then what you're going to do is you're going to have your tree tether, which is what actually connects to the tree. So a tree tether, tree strap, there's some different terminology you'll see, but that's what we mean. It's either, again, rope or webbing typically goes around the tree, comes down, and it clips into your bridge, either with um, a carabiner 
or with, um, sometimes it's on a ropeman or a prusik, which I'll explain that in a minute. And then you have your lineman's belt, which would hook up from one side of your saddle. It would go around the tree and hook into the other side of your saddle. And what that's usually used for is for really positioning yourself. So for example, I'm going to climb up the tree, whatever method I use. I'm going to step out onto whatever platform I'm using. And then when I'm climbing the tree, I'm using my, my lineman's belt because it's allowing me to safely position myself as I'm climbing. And um, I can go hands-free if I need to, and it's going to keep me from falling. Uh, it's going to allow me to position myself. It will keep me from falling. It's um, You're still going to hit the tree pretty good if you fall, but it's going to keep you from hitting the ground, which is important. So then when I get up onto my platform, I'm going to have my lineman belt around the tree. That's when I'm going to hook up my tether. I'm going to clip that onto my bridge. So at this point, I have two connections to the tree. And personally, what I do is I will uh, I verify that my tether connection is safe and correct. I slowly release my lineman's belt and put all the weight onto my saddle and my tether. Once I've confirmed that that is hooked up properly, that's when I uh, completely slacken up my lineman's belt and I'll take that off and I store it in a pouch on my hip. So at that point, I'm hanging just from my tether. That's exactly what I do. Uh, the first thing that, that I do is tie into my tether, which is, you know, like Scott said, the main safety line coming from the trunk of the tree to your saddle. And uh, when I'm when I'm onto my platform, uh, Scott, you one thing that I'll add to that is that before I climb onto my platform, whether I'm using screwing steps or strap on a mirror steps or Bullman outdoor silent approach steps or wild edge uh, step ladders or any of the climbing methods or excuse me, any of the platforms uh, that, that people are using. I always attach my tether before I climb onto those, just in case something were to happen, you know, mm -hmm. if the ratchet strap were to give out or a step were to break, however unlikely that might be, um, I'm not just attached with my lineman belt i also have that tether as a mm -hmm. backup that's a great extra step maybe i'll try to work that in and um so i've been doing i've just been doing it like this for so long that i kind of have my system but i'm always looking to make things safer so I'll, I'll give it a shot so then um okay so that's that's the basic overview of the general equipment that we need when we're using saddle so let's talk about the different connections you can have from either your tether or your lineman's belt to your actual saddle. Um, what has become really, really popular amongst most of the guys on the forum is um, an, a device from the climbing world. Uh, it's an ascender, and it's called the Ropeman 1. And what this does is it makes one-handed um, adjustment of the rope very, very easy. So you can just adjust the length with one hand, very quickly and safely. And um, if you need to tweak the length of your tether, you just kind of pull on the, the tag end of the rope and it, it, it's just easy. It's even better for the lineman's belt because if you're, um, as you're going up the tree, you know, the, um, the, the width of the tree due to the taper will change. You can adjust it. It's, it's just one of the most helpful things that we've um, started using. So um, that's one option. So what that would do, that would actually hang on your tether. You'd put a carabiner into that, and that's that carabiner would hook into your bridge if you were using it for the tether. The same concept for the lineman's belt. Um, another option is to use either a Prusik or a Blake's hitch, some, some sort of friction knot. And 
it's the same concept. It's just a little bit um, harder to adjust with one hand. But again, that that um, hitch goes on to either your tether or your lineman's belt. When um, when weight is put on it and it's pulled, it it bites the rope and doesn't move. The carabiner goes into that and then clips on to either your bridge or your alignment belt portion of the saddle. That's great. That's a very good explanation of all the all the pieces that make up a saddle. Scott, do you have um, a video on the on your YouTube channel that shows all this stuff? Uh, not right now, but um, we're you and I are going to be working in the off season to get a lot of this stuff. We're uh, specifically going to be focusing on doing some videos of the basics for uh, people that are interested in getting into a saddle, so they can visualize all the stuff that we're talking about right now. Yeah, yeah, I have one. Um, I have a video on my YouTube channel, the G Two Outdoors channel, that doesn't show everything that you mentioned, Scott, all the terminology, but it goes through most of it, and so you can at least see what a bridge is, what a tether is, uh, how a ropeman works, uh, and those basics. So, if you jump on the uh, forum, you can find me on the forum, G Two Outdoors, and you'll find a link to my uh, YouTube channel, and you can see all that stuff right there. It's pretty easy. But Scott is right. Soon, the saddle uh, saddlehunter.com YouTube channel will have some of this content up where you can go and see this uh, in real life, see how it works, which is much easier than hearing it on a podcast uh, because I know some of this can get complicated. Yeah, um, if, ever, if you guys can just bear with me, it's still hunting season and I've been hammered with work and my health and uh, just having a busy family. So I'm hoping to take care of some of these videos once we get into the off season and I have a little more time. Yeah, that's exactly right. And but that is a good the good overview of the different pieces of of what makes up a tree saddle and that's a good basis for you guys that maybe uh maybe haven't been introduced to one. And uh, another question that dealing with the saddles that I'm there on the forum asked is he he asked, he wanted to know about the different types of saddles and uh so Scott uh jump in at the end of the list here if I miss any but from what I'm can remember and what I could find. We've got the Anderson tree sling. Uh, we've got the one hair seat. We've got a trophy line tree saddle, a Guido's web, an arrow hunter evolution. We've got an arrow hunter kestrel. We've got a sit drag. We've got a preacher seat. We've got all kinds of DIY solutions. Um, but the, the main commercial, uh, of commercially available saddles are were the Anderson tree sling, the one here, uh, or excuse me, the trophy line tree saddle, the Guido's web, and now all of the, the two saddles that have been offered by Arrow Hunter, the Evolution, and the newest one, and probably the best one that's ever been commercially available, in my opinion, is the uh, Kestrel. Yes. Scott, you have a Kestrel, and I know that you're pretty pumped about it, right? Oh, yeah, I love it. I, um, I've been using it all season, and um, the, the only thing I found with my Kestrel is I started out at the beginning of the season with the size one and uh, midway through the season, someone had a size two available. And I kind of at times was wondering if the size one was a little small for me. And I picked up that size two. And since that day, any questions I had were answered. I, I won't go back to the size one. I'm sure I'm going to sell it in the off season because the size two just fits me perfectly. Yeah. Um, and and the only commercially available option right now is the Arrow Hunter Kestrel. So if you're not interested in getting a used saddle from eBay or Craigslist or from a forum, from our forum or another forum on the internet, uh, like a trophy line tree saddle, those are usually easy to easy to find. 
Um, if, 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 it's kind of funny to hear you say that because think about probably what three or four or four yeah four years ago before the era hunter was making saddles they were so hard to find i would say even before right before the kestrel you know just a few months ago they were they were harder to find because yeah. you know the the evolution it was a it's a great saddle but it was a lot more complicated than a lot of people mm-hmm. wanted to deal with and they really slimmed that down with the kestrel they took off most of the frills and and extra stuff that was on the evolution mm-hmm. so you know really you've got three options you can make your own which a lot of folks do uh, you can buy one used via, like I said, Craigslist, eBay, whatever, uh, or you can buy the only commercially available saddle uh, in the Arrowhead Orchestral. And that is our recommendation uh, off the bat: is that uh, if you're getting into saddle hunter or saddle hunting, go with the Kestrel. Yeah, and they offer it in a complete kit, so everything we're talking about right now, you can just buy the kit and get your hands on it and. Um, a lot of us are making our own tethers and lineman belts. And um, w- once you know how to do it, it's not hard. But if you've never had your hands on a, uh, a saddle and all this stuff, it's a little intimidating. So that's why it's it's great that they offer the full kit. You can see what it is. And then if you want to do something a little bit differently down the road, you have that option once you know what you're doing. Now, as we're recording this, it is at the end uh almost the last day in December of 2017. So if you're listening this, you know, maybe next year, 2018, or maybe even after that, there may be other saddles available. Maybe there's better options. But for right now, at the end of 2017, uh, my recommendation is the Arrow Hunter Kestrel for someone getting into a, uh, getting into saddle hunting. And, and, you know, with that saddle, I think it's important to talk about some of the advantages that a saddle has over a tree stand don't you think scott yeah absolutely um and just before we go into that i just want to say that i i can't say enough good things about uh, new tribe and their air hunter company because they've been in the uh, in the market now for probably four or five years and they've been listening to what what we wanted the kestrel was a huge jump from any of their other models um and anyone who has any quote unquote problems with them I tell them just reach right out to the company because they will help you. If you have a question or if something doesn't look right when you get your saddle, call them. They will help you. They are a wonderful company. Yeah, that's that's good to know. And and I would be remiss if I didn't point out that Arrow Hunter is sponsoring Saddle Palooza, which I'll talk about more at the end of the podcast. Uh, but they are one of the sponsors of Saddle Palooza, and they have donated a complete kestrel set to uh to the raffle at, at saddle palooza so that's going to be awesome i can't wait to try it out um that's it's cool. so lightweight it's so comfortable from from what i hear and uh, I'm, I'm pretty pumped to get to sit in it yeah that, that's pretty awesome of them it's it's a huge donation and it's someone's going to be very happy walking away with that absolutely um but let's talk about some of the advantages of a, of a saddle over a tree stand just off the top of my head i think about weight and comfort uh stealth you know you can hide behind the tree even cost can be you know if you're looking in the long run uh it's cheaper to to be a saddle hunter than a tree stand hunter they're quieter uh you can hunt the right tree as opposed to you know the tree that will work with your tree stand and those are just a few of the things that uh, are a few of the advantages um 
of saddle hunting over tree stands. But let's kind of start at the top, Scott, and talk about weight. What's your uh, opinion on the weight advantage of a tree saddle? Well, um, my saddle, when it's packed up with the tether and lineman's belt, probably comes in between four and five pounds. So I don't think you're going to find a tree stand that that weighs that much. Definitely not. Um, So that, I mean, right there, I don't think it compares. And not to mention that when you... um, compare any tree stand you're going to have to compare the weight of the tree stand and the safety harness yes and that's something that's always annoying to me um sure you can hunt with a with a a tree stand without a safety harness Uh, i did it for years but uh you're then you're not comparing apples to apples because with a tree saddle you are completely safe you're tethered to the tree the entire time so you have to factor in that weight of the of the uh um safety harness Mm mm-hmm and, you know, there's a lot of guys pushing the envelope, trying to come up with new and faster, lighter ways on the forum. Um, a lot of I'm them one of them. Like, I'm yeah. guilty. Yeah. But, and a lot of them are using like a light, lightweight rock climbing hardens as their safety harness. So that's fine. Yeah, you can get away with just a few ounces on but, that. Um, but even if you look at j- just the Kestrel, and like I said, with everything on it, for mine, it's I haven't weighed it, but it's like between four and five pounds. And including the, the the quick connect leg buckles, yeah, sure. Do they weigh more than just the webbing strap? Or if they're not there, yeah. But it's a full safety harness and tree stand, <laughs> less than five pounds. Yeah, it's tough to beat. Yeah, I mean, when you're comparing it to anything else, it's it's amazing. And and these things, just because you're you're gaining all of all of this weight savings, it doesn't mean that you have to sacrifice comfort. I am more comfortable in my DIY sit drag than I have ever been in any tree stand ever. Well, I take that back. My summit, or excuse me, my API Grand Slam with that lounger seat is pretty dang comfortable, but um, it's not worth the the trade-offs for the climbing stand. But I'm as, in, as comfortable or more comfortable even in my sit drag than any lock-on tree stand I've ever sat in, period. I am too. And I, you know, I got some minor back problems. Like, you know, I have sciatica, a couple herniated discs, nothing major, but just enough that that it bothers me. And I have trouble sitting and I could not sit in a regular tree stand anymore for, for long periods of time. But because of when I'm sitting in my saddle, I'm not, it's not like I'm fully sitting. My legs are angled down a little bit and I can uh, lean my back back a little bit. I, I have zero problems sitting in my saddle all day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, I, I, that's something I don't big either. too. That that question comes up on the forum a lot. People who have back problems come on and ask, "Can they do it?" And my answer is yes. I've never sat all day in a in a um in a saddle. I have sat probably maybe six hours, six to seven hours is the longest I've sat. But I don't think it would be a problem. I mean, I wasn't even uncomfortable at the end of that sit. Yeah, I mean, I think if you can sit that long, at that point, it's just a matter of. I mean, six hours, 10 hours, what's the difference at that point? Yeah, I agree. And and um, another thing that adds to the comfort, which is really kind of two advantages in one, is the stealth of being able to hide behind the tree. That little bit of movement, you know, every now and again, I know, Scott, you're a big fan of, you know, s- scanning back and forth and always moving, not moving a lot, but moving slowly just to make mm-hmm. sure that you always see the deer before they see you. And 
not only does that keep you more stealthy by, you know, being able to get behind the tree, but it, it makes it more comfortable because you're, you're not putting pressure on the same, you know, points of your body for hours and hours and hours on end. Mm -hmm. And I'm just guessing here, but a lot of people who come over and, and have any comfort issues, I wonder if they are trying to just sit dead still for the entire time. Because what I'll do is, you know, I'll start, maybe I'll start sitting like fully, like full butt down in the saddle, wait on both legs to start. And then maybe a half hour later, I'll lean over to my left and put a little more weight on my left foot, left butt cheek. And then I'll shift back over to the right. And then, you know, then maybe I'll turn a little and rest my knee on the tree. It's just, it's minor movements, but it's just like constantly adjusting so that you're, you, you stay comfortable. Yeah, mm -hmm. Do you do that? Yep. Absolutely. Um, absolutely right. Yeah. But like, and like you said, Greg, I'm all, besides that, I mean, I'm always just moving slowly either like to the left or the right, just kind of enough so that I can turn my head and be looking in both directions to see where the deer are. Yeah. Yep. 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 Definitely. And, and have you ever had any issues with, uh, with noise in your saddle? I know, I have, when I was tree stand hunting with the metal, I had to go through some pretty serious steps to quiet that down, but I, I haven't noticed the same problems in my tree saddle. I do have some metal with my ropemen and my carabiners, but other than that, it's almost all cloth or rope. Yeah, for the most part. I mean, on my Kestrel, the, the, the buckles, I got those, um, the neoprene buckle covers that um, that were being sold on, on the forum. I put those over it. They've been working pretty good for this season. I, I might try something else in the off season, but they've been working. Um, any other metal? On, actually, the Kestrel is not much other metal. There's the waist buckle, but that's kind of in a position that doesn't get in the way. So I haven't had problems with that. Um, for my carabiners, on um, the, the one on my tether, I, I just wrap it in a bit of the, um, the vet tape that I use. It's like camo form, except you can get it, get it on Amazon much cheaper. I wrap that one up because um, that has a little bit of a chance of contacting with the uh, the Kong duck that I use. Okay. But um, besides that, my lineman belt with the ropeman and carabiner, that keeps it pinched and that's silent. So, so really, no. And any metal that you do have is very easy to silence. Yeah, I don't think that's a a huge advantage of of saddle hunting over over tree stands because you can absolutely be silent with the traditional tree stand, I think where the advantage comes in is the amount of work that it takes to achieve that silence with a saddle. It's much easier to be silent than it is with the tree stand. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah I, and then I, if anything, I would say if, if you can be more silent, it's more due to the, the size. Like if obviously if you have a, um, a, a full metal tree stand it's a lot bigger than your saddle so even if you go through all the steps to silence it you still just have more more area to contact something to make noise and then you also have to consider you know dragging stuff through the woods so if you're comparing a saddle with you know a climbing tree stand oh the the noise is it is a big advantage because there's no hitting branches and you know getting hung up on briars and etc cetera, etc cetera, that I did all of those things when I was hunting with my API Grand Slam, uh, giant aluminum climbing tree stand. Mm -hmm. And um, it's funny. I we can talk about climbing stands. I think I've hunted out of a climber maybe ten times in my life. It, it just never fit my uh, 
my hunting method. Oh, <laughs> I, I've done I it never, a lot. I could never lug that thing around. I hunted, we grew up hunting out of climbers. And when I went to college in Virginia, I hunted exclusively out of my API Grand Slam for four years. And I got really good with it. So it's it's not to say that you can't be quiet with it. It's just, again, the effort that it takes to be quiet with a 22-pound hunk of aluminum versus a four to five-pound roll of uh, Cordura fabric is much different. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's where the, where the, the benefit is. And, and like the climber, you can get in the right spot, but something that, that I always had trouble with, not always, that's not true. Um, but many times I wouldn't be able to find a tree when I found the right spot with my climber. Cause you know, it has to be straight and it has to be limbless and you know, it, it, it has to be, you know, only certain size around diameter and you're definitely not as limited with the tree saddle. You can't get in any tree. Um, and you know, if you're hunting mobile, that is, you can't really get in any tree. You do have some limitations, but for the most part, your, your tree selection goes way up when you're talking tree saddle versus climbing stand. Yeah. We almost have to break up hunting mobile versus hunting presets. Cause it's two very unique, um, situations that's true it is a different game yep you're right but um so one one other thing that we didn't talk about was the cost and when you have a saddle you only have to have one saddle and then you can hunt as many trees as you have prepared yeah and this was very very big for me when i got into saddle hunting um the first couple years that i got into saddle hunting i probably had 20 to 25 trees prepared in the woods with screw in steps. And it just allowed me to move around. And I think I mentioned this in our first podcast, I had moved to a different area and I was learning new, new deer movements. And it just gave me the opportunity to, to observe a lot of different locations and learn. And I still hunt some of those trees to this day. Um, But I'm telling you, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have 20 to 25 hang-ons hanging out there. Well, I think that's where, like you mentioned just a moment ago, I think it's hard to compare tree saddle hunting with all of, you know, just to tree stands uh, because there's so many nuances of tree stand hunting. You know, are you, are you prepping 25 trees and putting a tree stand at each location? Well then, yeah, that's going to be a lot more expensive than buying one saddle and taking that to all the trees. You know, are you buying 10 different uh, uh, ladder stands and putting them up across multiple properties where you hunt? Uh, yeah, that's going to be a lot more expensive. It's going to be – saddle hunting is going to be very comparable to buying a high-end uh, uh, climbing stand, uh, more than likely less expensive than that, but it's going to be pretty comparable. And it's going to be pretty comparable with buying a high-end mobile setup, like a, something like a lone wolf tree stand and the, mm-hmm. and the sticks and stuff that go along with that. Um, so it really depends – uh, the cost uh, depends on kind of what your hunting style is. And it also depends on, you know, what route you go with the saddle. You know, we're talking about a Kestrel, which the whole package is 300 bucks. But if you already have some rope and you're familiar with that, and maybe you, uh, you're okay with going the DIY route, or if you're okay with buying a used saddle off of Craigslist, you can 
come away a lot cheaper than that. So mm-hmm. it's difficult to compare the two, but I would say in general, uh, saddle hunting is less expensive than traditional tree stand hunting, you know, as a, as a general rule. Yeah. As long as you pick one thing and stick with it. <laughs> well, yeah, but I'm Which not talking have, about a, for me or you. I'm talking about <laughs> for, for, yeah, for, for people that are looking at this, don't, don't ruin it, Scott. We had them going thinking that saddle hunting was all that. Now they're going to know that they're going to spend thousands and thousands of dollars. <laughs> It is what you make of it. How about that, that? That's okay. They can blame me. It's no problem. If you're new, you can you can come on the forum and learn about all the ways that we spend money and blame me for every single one of them. It's completely that, fine. That's the general rule on the forum. And I sometimes I even feel bad for you because I feel like you need to share the blame. <laughs> well, it's, uh, you know, it is what it is. Hey, mm-hmm. I, I enjoy it. You can't take it with you, so why not spend it on saddle gear? That's right. Yeah. And, and, you know, I talked about the DIY saddle and just hanging around made a good point on the forum or made a good question, you know, should you modify or should you go with something that you buy straight from the, uh, straight from the factory? What do you think about that, Scott? Well, for any new year's new users, I think you should just go with what you have straight from the factory, but you should do that in your backyard on the ground and make sure that you get comfortable with what you have and learn how to use it safely. That, that's the number one thing that we tell new users is take it out in your backyard, or if you don't have a backyard, just take it somewhere where you can hook it up to a tree on the ground and learn everything and be able to do it safely. Yes, yes. What I learned, so kind of my experience with saddle hunting, I was just straight stock for the first several years um, of saddle hunting. And, and then as I began to explore more and get involved with, with saddlehunter.com and kind of wanted, or I, I, I kind of identified some things that I wanted to change. Then I started tinkering and, you know, switched out a, a webbing strap for a rope strap or changed a heavy webbing bridge to uh, an Amstel bridge or got rid of the, the big stainless steel carabiners and went with an aluminum climbing carabiner. It's little things like that that will get your feet wet in the DIY arena. And then as you as you get more and more experience, you can you may find that you like your your saddle exactly the way that it came from the factory, and that's completely mm-hmm. fine. Or or you may find that you're you're someone more like me that likes to tinker and likes to set up your saddle, you know, for exactly how you use it. And that's, that's kind of where, where I evolved to is, you know, I'm not making my own, but I'm pretty much making my own, uh, you know, apart from, apart from using the sit drag as a base, I pretty much, uh, uh, modify it to fit me and my style precisely. I, I did the exact same thing, Greg, for the first, probably for the first five years I used my saddle. It was the straight stock tree saddle, the, the, the leg straps, the suspenders, the tether, the webbing tether, and the webbing lineman's belt. And to be honest, at that point, wearing that thing around, it was like nothing. It still weighed only like five pounds. I would wear it every time I went into the woods. And when you're wearing your saddle, it's a lot different than having it packed in a pack even. It's like it's part of you. Right. So um, that that extra little bit of weight, like you, you, once you get used to everything, you start learning and want to tinker, but... Like, like you said, the steel carabiners it had on it, the heavier duty webbing straps, yeah, it's all a little heavier, but it was all safe and it was a great way to learn. 
Yeah, and you know, we talked about adding adding those extra things. Cozy two three on the forum, he also asked, you know, what do you need to buy with your saddle? And well, that, that's a loaded I, question. That's a load. I was just about to say that. That <laughs> that's a tough question. You know, if you're buying a kestrel and the kit that comes with the kestrel, it's going to come with all the ropes, all the carabiners, all the uh, all the things that you need, the prussics and everything that you need to get in the saddle. And really all you have to do from there is figure out how you're going to climb the tree and then what you're going to do once you get up to hunting height or you, what kind of platform do you want to use. So right. uh, with a saddle specifically, it really depends on if you go the DIY route or the the used route or the brand new route. Yeah, like you said, I mean, basically, as an example, if you were to buy the Kestrel kit, all you need to do is buy a method to climb the tree and, for example, climbing sticks. They're easy. And then you need to find a way um, what you're going to stand on when you get to the top. So uh, if you're allowed to use screw and steps, you could put four or five screw and steps around the tree and stand on those. You could build yourself one of the Ernie platforms or, you know, the, the options are, um, they're out there. Right. And for, for those of you that are a little bit more adventurous and you're willing to go the, the eBay route and buy a trophy line tree saddle or a Guido's web or, or a sit drag or something like that, then my, my recommendation and Scott, you chime in here with yours as well. But, uh, for a tether, I like to use, um, uh, 11 millimeter rope. I buy blue water assault line it's an 11 meter, uh, millimeter rope. It's very strong. Uh, I don't remember the breaking strength right off the bat, but it's, I mean, you can lift up a car with it. It's crazy strong. It's probably and somewhere around 6,000 pounds. That sounds in the right. Yeah, yeah, it sounds right. And uh, I like the finished lengths of my tether to be around seven foot. Um, and that's after you've tied in, uh, you know, a fixed loop and a stopper knot at the end to protect yourself. Uh, if you hunt really big trees, you might want a longer tether. You might want to carry around a 10 foot tether, uh, in your bag. If you, if you hunt really small trees, then you could even shorten it up more. Honestly, I could probably get away with a four foot tether because I rarely hunt trees that require more than that. But I, I found that seven foot works pretty good for me. Yeah. It's, it's usually, better to have a little bit longer so that you're prepared for when you need to get in that tree that's a little bigger than not have enough. Yeah, I agree. What rope are you using, Scott? Uh, right now I'm using um, the, the 9mm Samson Ultra Tech actually for my tether. I've been using that for about a year and I, I really like it. It's it's nice rope. I've also been fooling around with um, some 9mm Sterling HTP. Um, I like that too. So... Um, but for anyone getting into it, I also recommend sticking with your standard 11 millimeter ropes. Uh, most of the devices that you hear us talking about uh, are in that range. They're usually rated for 10 to 13 millimeter ropes. Um, if you go a little bit smaller, you have to find some um, different devices that are rated for that rope size. So m my recommendation for uh, lineman belt and tether is to use the... Um, the Samson Predator rope that just it's been out, I think, for about a year now. So it's 11 millimeters. It's really nice rope. Um, it comes in a camo pattern, and um, your your Ropeman one, which we talk about all the time, will work on it. Yeah, and that's that's the rope that is coming with the um, the Air Hunter Kestrel. I really like that rope. It's camo, uh, which 
may or may not make a difference, but it makes a difference for me. I just like having the camo stuff. Um, it looks cool. It does. It looks cool, and um, I just like it. So that's that's good rope for me, and uh, and yeah. So so that's pretty much it. Uh, you, since we're kind of focusing on the saddles, I had in my notes here to talk about the the you know climbing methods and stuff, but I don't think that's really appropriate because there's so many different ways that you can do that, and we'll we'll that's, save the climbing like methods. Error. That's a whole nother podcast. So we'll, we'll suffice it to say, you've got to climb the tree. So you got to figure out that part. And we're going to help you figure that out in another episode, but we're not going to help you figure it out today. Uh, so you got to climb the tree and then you have to have some sort of platform. Uh, but I've even used branches uh, to stand on in, in oak trees. So you don't really have to have a platform, but if you don't, you're really limiting yourself. You may not be able to find a tree with branches where you need to be hunting. So yeah. I always recommend a platform. Yeah. And officially, I mean, you're hooked into your tether if you're standing on that branch. Generally, using branches for climbing and standing on isn't recommended just because uh, you never know when they're going to break. That's just my little safety toss in right there. Yeah, I buy that. Um, But, you know, talking about safety is, is there a significant difference in safety with a saddle compared to tree stance? I think so, personally. I mean, you're... I'm attached to the tree 100% from the time I leave the tree until the time I'm up there until the time I'm back down at mm-hmm. the bottom. And there's no there, there's no trying to climb out onto my platform and hook into my my uh, my harness attachment that's above me. Like I, like I said to you earlier, I climb up, I have my lineman's belt already, I step out onto whatever type of platform I'm using wrap my tether around, hook into it, and I'm good to go. I agree with you 100%. Um, there was actually a thread. I think you 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 uh, you posted in the thread, Scott, recently that was asking this very question on the forum. Is it mm-hmm. – are, are saddles truly safer than tree stands? And and I, I – forgive me, but I don't know the – I don't remember the name of the poster. I don't know. You may remember, Scott. But uh, he his claim was that – that they, the saddles weren't actually any safer than tree stands because with a tree stand, you have two lines of defense, meaning your first line of defense against falling was the tree stand itself, which is attached to the tree with a, a, um, a you know, a ratchet strap or a chain or s- some other method. And then your second or your backup method is a is your safety line or your uh your uh safety harness meaning either you know a a rock climbing harness or you know whatever hss you know whatever safety harness you use so you two lines of defense so with a tree saddle you only have one being your tether after you're hooked in you know and you've removed your lineman belt and uh what do you think about that scott yeah i i I, I don't agree with that because um, for a couple of reasons. Number one, um, tree stands, how, how, many, how often do we hear about people falling out of tree stands? Yeah, it happens to people you know all the time. Yeah. So um, usually I believe that people are falling out of tree stands when they're transferring from climbing to on it. So cool. at that point, they're, not, they're usually probably not attached to the tree stand and they're just about to hook into their safety harness when they get on the stand, right? Yeah, and that's what the science shows too, that that's like 80, 80 or 90% of falls happen transitioning from your climbing method to the stand. Right. 
So I, I have heard stories of tree stands actually giving out, but I think most likely that is older stands that were probably not properly maintained. Yeah, that happened to my brother-in-law. He was standing in the stand. Uh, he wasn't didn't have a safety uh, safety harness on, but he was fully in the stand. He was turned around facing the tree. He was screwing in a bow holder to the tree, and his ratchet strap broke. And he went all the way down. He, he, he got hurt. You know, he broke his ankle, I want to say, and his wrist, and he still hasn't fully recovered. Um, thankfully, you know, he wasn't gravely injured, but, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, that happens too. I mean, yeah. I mean, chains can break and, and, and ratchet straps can break. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So that's the, obviously the one piece, but, and then the second piece is the tree stand harness. And I'm not a big fan of the, um, generally the hunting industry anymore because for something to get TMA certified, I think it's a joke compared to what a lot of stuff in the climbing industry has to go through. And as we've, you know, as the site has developed and we get a lot more input from people in the climbing industry, like you just start to realize how safe and how durable a lot of the equipment that they're using is. And I just don't think that compares to some of these harnesses that that we see. I I agree completely. Um, the TMA, you know, I don't have all the same information that you do, but I I have heard before that the TMA is uh, they don't actually test anything. It's just a certification that if if you're willing to pay the fees, uh, then you can you know be TMA approved or whatever that is. And and you've you've seen the YouTube videos about people falling with their safety harnesses on, and it's you know it's like self rescue. How do you do that? You know, and uh-huh. people can get hurt just from that. Yeah, and if if someone listens to this and they want to come and give us better information, um, we'd love to hear it. But I have heard the the same thing that you just mentioned, so it had to have come from somewhere. Yeah, let me caveat that even more. I am far from a safety expert so please do not accuse me of saying the tma is junk i do not i'm not saying that i just uh from from my limited very limited uh internet ninja experience that is my uh impression of the tma um but i could be completely wrong on that well what i will say is if you buy some of these um cheap tree stands at dicks that come with the required safety harnesses some of that stuff is junk and I think it's horrible that they're being offered as a safety harness. Yeah. It it might work, but it might hurt you in the process. Yeah, I agree. But anyway, we're we're getting a little bit sidetracked. So so comparing that to the saddle. um, So what I said was that we are, and I'm going to not talk about um, pure DIY stuff at the moment, because let's talk about what you get when you buy the Kestrel. You're getting the Samson Predator rope, which is an 11 millimeter rope. It's the, the, the type of rope that people in the climbing industry or uh, rock climbers or arborists or life safety people, it's being held to the same standards as these people that are, you know, their lives are depending on it every day. And all of this stuff goes through, through rigorous testing. If you look at any um, of the carabiners that we're using, it's all rated. You can see it right on the carabiner. And it's just, it's, it's being held to different standards. And so that's one issue. And then the second issue is that when I climb up the tree, I am at no point disconnected. Like I said before, I have my lineman's belt and then I go right into my tether. 
And it, it's hard for me to, to put that into words because I do it. I've done it so many times and it's just come second nature to me. Do, do you know what I mean, Greg? I absolutely do. And, you know, when I was growing up, You've said this before. We hung like monkeys in trees. You know, you've got one leg wrapped around uh, the trunk of the tree. You've got your left hand on a branch, you know, eight inches, eight, 12 inches away from the trunk of the tree. You've got your other hand wrapped around with the chain, trying to latch it on to this tiny catch on the tree stand before you can put on the, the, the ratchet strap. And we did all that without safety straps or, or lineman belts. And I see people doing it even today on on YouTube, there are a lot of people that are hanging stands. I've seen it on TV. Guys are hanging stands without any sort of safety whatsoever. And I don't think it's fair to to not include that when you're talking about safety because part of setup is hanging your tree stand. So if you're going to go and hang a tree stand and not use a lineman, lineman's belt or not use any sort of safety harness, well, then that's not as safe as a tree saddle while where you're connected to the tree during the entire setup process. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. And just because you can do something unsafely doesn't mean you should. Yeah, that's very true. Very true. Well, I think we've hit safety. Uh, we've kind of talk- Maybe so, you can't ever talk about safety too much, but uh, we, I think so, we are coming close right now. Yeah. There, and there's just one more point that came up that I want to discuss, which was the, the question of, well, what happens if, um, if you cut your tether with your broadhead? Oh, the, the, so, the, the broadhead tether question. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that actually comes up a lot on the forum. And well, the first thing is, I think it is, and I know you feel the same way because we've talked about it. It's extremely, extremely unlikely for that situation to happen. I have probably never had my broadhead come within six inches of my tether. The closest it ever comes is when I'm taking it from the quiver to the bow yes and then once i'm hanging and, and it's knocked that broadhead is never never coming within two feet of of my tether but yeah the only time say- yeah go ahead sorry no no go ahead yeah i was gonna say um my point being that about the only time i could ever see that realistically being an issue is if you had some sort of medical event while you were tied to the tied into the tether, and what I mean by that, you had some sort of you know, coronary uh, a heart attack. You had a uh, you had a seizure or something where you had your arrow in your hand, and at that moment you had some sort of problem. Maybe your platform broke right as you're moving the arrow over the tether. At, I mean, just the chances are so astronomically low that I don't really see that even being something worth considering. Yeah, I agree, and and I think like we're like we're, I was talking about with the build quality of of this equipment. A lot of this equipment is made to withstand a certain amount of abuse. So I'm just speculating here, but I'm pretty sure because. The, the way the rope is built, it's got an inner core and it's covered by a, uh, an outer sheath. I'm pretty sure if you just um, took your broadhead and were just to bump it into your tether, that it's not going to do any serious damage because of the way that the rope is constructed. I agree. I think it's you know it's different. Like I I've used um, magnet stingers for a long time 
And um, I, I think if I were to start sawing into my tether with them, that might be a different story. But if um, if I were to just to hit it and take a, let's say I took a nick out of the tether, well, that tether is has such a safety factor built into it that it's going to allow me to to hook up my lineman's belt, climb down the tree, and then go and replace my tether before it's going to fail on me. All right, Saddle Hunters, we are going to cut it right there for this episode of Saddle Hunting 101. We had so much information, we had to break it up, and we're going to do the second part next month. Uh, So thank you guys for listening, and uh, we have a lot more Saddle Hunting 101 info coming your way. So if your question question didn't get answered this episode, stay tuned because we have a whole lot more in the next episode. Scott, what you got for them? All right. Well, before we wrap it up, I just want to mention I had a great conversation the other day with John Eberhardt, and I just want to uh, make sure that everyone knows that he's doing these awesome whitetail uh, workshops right now, and he's got his seminars going. So you can find out more information about them at eberhartswhitetailworkshop.com. John's also active on our forum, so you can always reach out to him there. And um, you can find the link to his website from the, uh, the forum also. Awesome. And uh, if you're if you uh, are looking for something to do in February, it just so happens that I know of a place you can go and shoot some pigs in Georgia, and you can do it for very very cheap. This is happens to be called Saddle Palooza, and this is the uh, event that Scott and I are putting on uh, in Georgia this year, February sixteenth through nineteenth. You can find all the details on the forum. There's a big link uh, at the very top on the uh, on the the desktop version of the site. So with Tapa Talk, if you're looking on your phone, it's not quite as easy to find, but just search for Saddle Palooza and you'll find it. But Scott put a link at the very top on the website on the uh, desktop version. You can read all about it. Um, it's going to be an awesome time. We did it last year and it was a ton of fun. And I know this year we got guys coming from Texas and Minnesota, even possibly our neighbors to the north in Canada. looks like a couple of guys, a couple saddle hunters from up in the great wide north are going to be making it. Scott's going to be there coming down from New Jersey. I'm going to be there. It's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of great food, great hunting. I know we will get pigs. I think last year everyone at least had an opportunity to get a pig and most people got a pig. So it's going to be a fun hunt. And, and I would be remiss not to mention our sponsors that are helping us put on the event. Arrow Hunter, they're donating a Kestrel setup. Easy Hunter has given us several sit drags, and Wild Edge has done some step ladders, and Ernie Outdoors has given us a few platforms, and we've had a whole bunch of donations. The Stealth Outdoors with Stealth Strips and Bullman Outdoors with their new silent approach. We're going to have all of this stuff for free for you guys. It's going to be a raffle, and you can walk away with all of this stuff. It's going to be a ton of fun. I am pumped about it. I know Scott's pumped about it, and I know the folks that are committed are pumped about it. So if you have President's Day weekend free, February 16th through 19th, please come down to sunny Georgia, where it's probably going to be warm, and hunt some pigs with me and Scott, and we will have a blast. That's all I have. Scott, anything else before we let him go? It's hunting season. Still going on. Get out there and get some deer. That's right. Well, thank you guys for listening, and we will catch you guys on the next episode of the Saddle Hunter Podcast. Saddle Hunter.